Hello, folks. We are back for the final episode of Movies on Islands Month. And we have a wonderful special guest who's laughing at a ridiculous name this month. It's Cody Newberry is here. Hello. Hello. Do you like our name? Do you like how we name months really stupid things? Well, it's just perfect for you and Zach. Like, the the stuff that works so well is Zach's quirkiness about things. So why wouldn't he do a entire episode, an entire series based on movies on island? Like, I wonder whose works. idea this was. <laughs> is it Lucas's? No, no, it's no, idea. It's, yeah. okay, it's a yeah, tie-in yeah, with Suicide Squad. It takes place on an island. It was actually yeah, a and, and okay. Well, it's a, it's, it's a fun way for you guys to do stuff, too, because you guys could have done the traditional route of comic book movies or something like this, and like you make it fun and feature movies that don't get talked about as much as everything else. So that's smart. Actually, like yeah, we, actually, we got stuck. We got, we got stuck in – we actually did get stuck initially in, in you know, Suicide Squad and that being like, oh, should we do DC? Should we do comic books? Should we do team-ups? Should we do anti-heroes? And one thing we just consistently ran into is that there are a lot of movies like that. Um, say a lot of them get talked to death. A lot of them are very similar – um, if you do an anti-hero month, you do like four movies that are basically exactly the same story because they <laughs> don't really have a lot of uh, different ways to tell anti-heroes that exist. Uh, Zach could have talked about Deadpool, and that would have been fun. <laughs> we should do a full two-hour episode of Deadpool. I never I think do it. We would get banned if we. I will gladly talk about how crap that movie is. So I think I'm the highest of the three of us on Deadpool, and I might have given it three out of five stars. <laughs> It's pretty close, yeah. I think I'm two and a half, maybe two. It's not very good. But we're not talking about Deadpool. We're talking about more uh, fun movies. We're ending the month talking about Shutter Island, which sort of falls into category number two of Movies on Islands, um, which is category one is the island is someplace they have to go to do a mission, and number two is the island is a place where mysterious, weird, and crazy stuff can happen because it's isolated from the rest of the world. Um before we jump all the way into Shutter Island, let's do a little. Is this kind of both? They're kind of doing a mission on this. They're trying to solve yes, crime. But, but the movie is more about the fact that by being an island, they are isolated and can't escape or go to the real world or interact with the real world. They're very much stuck in this one location. But last letterbox movie first, Zach Ford, talk about a movie that's not Shutter Island. Um, I, I definitely forgot what I was going to talk about. Um, oh, talk about one in theaters. Um, I saw Green Knight. Uh, last weekend, um, David Lowry. I'm pretty sure I've talked about him on this show before. He is um, one of my favorite like working directors because even though he he you know kind of jumps genres, this is a you know medieval fantasy. Um, it kind of like the artsy form of Beowulf based on an epic poem, like Beowulf was. Um, he's done you know. Um, kind of spiritual dramas with ghost story he's done family films peach dragon um just a great fun um heist movie uh, with old man the guns he, he jumps around but no matter what the genre is or no matter you know how tragic parts of the story is or how suspenseful parts of the story is um i'm just like very deeply calmed by his style and his pace um you know green knight has parts of it that that is really creepy and, and tragic and and i'm still like feel like I'm exhaling the whole time. And it, I, I think it's the music. It's it slowed down like at the right level that my heartbeat can just match up with. And, and I, I just, I vibe with what David Lowry is doing. Um, and he's just making some of the most beautiful looking and sounding music aesthetically, just the most pleasing movies out there. Um, now I'm blanking on the composer. What's his name? Lucas. Oh, 
I messaged you about him right after I saw the movie. Yeah, but he's not a famous name, so the name didn't stick around. I'll okay. look it up. Daniel yeah. Hart. Saying Daniel Hart, who has done all the David Lowry scores. Um, I think he's the second best like composer under the age of 50, you know, working out there under after Nicholas Bertel. Um between this and the old man with the gun, they're just like the movies I find really chill, but the soundtrack score. Some of the ones I return to the most just because they they provide the same thing for me. But um, and they're just a great like earthiness to the way it's filmed. Um, and it, it's lovely. I, um, I, I'm worried a lot of people are going to be bored by it. Um, but I, 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 I hope people can take a breath like I did and, and just find it with the vibe and kind of be okay to be a little confused or be a little bored sometimes. It's okay sometimes. I have two questions. Question one, um, does it have like bouncing, a lot of bouncing boobs and like weird nude shots like Beowulf? <laughs> no, they should have had. Yeah, uh, Dev Patel actually had to hide his penis for the whole hour and a half. He has had to keep different things covering his groin, chandeliers. This is a Beowulf reference. If you don't get it, <laughs> Cody. Cody Beowulf the whole time. He's like naked half the time, and they just find different things to cover his penis. And I would pay it. money to watch Cody watch the three Robert Zemeckis <laughs> CGI movies. In a row. <laughs> that would be not a insane. good time. I'm very excited about this, to be honest. I, I, I was yeah. really looking forward to it. Um, I think Dev Patel is somebody that is is always great, but never gets the like top level billing that you'd like him to get. Like he has, like you know, he's at Oscar hype. He has a lot of awards hype for a lot of his stuff, but he yeah. often, and I think in some parts because of the fact that he is um, not what we traditionally look at as a leading man, and, and part of that maybe due to his race. I think he does sometimes get pushed into like a secondary category and doesn't always get that like the hype or um, platform he deserves. So I'm always excited to see him get projects with really talented directors. Recently, I think one I think one of the big problems for him has been recently he's worked with a lot of nobody directors, first time directors, kind of studio people. Like this is one of the first times recently he's actually worked with somebody who is clearly talented and at least well, somewhat near his own level. He a personal history of David Copperfield with um what's his face who is. No, that's right. In some respects, yeah. Well, Dev Patel has talked about he avoids blockbusters anymore after Last Airbender. He's kind of scared to do these big movies, and he's been offered a lot, so I think he's just more interested in doing the artsy um, indie movies. Something that I forget about often is he is a year younger than me. He was only 31 years old. He was 17 or 18 when he did Some Dog Millionaire. Um, yeah, he's a super so he has so much of a career left, and if the world um, survives the next ten years um, as as a planet, um, I think Dev Patel like could go down as an all time great. He is like not near his prime. Prime for actors. Think of like when Leo really started to reach what we know as like Leo was like late thirties as we started to evolve from yeah. young Leo to to be taken as a serious you know blockbuster drama actor. I think he has an, a huge career ahead of him. It's definitely possible. I would like to see a little bit better um, career choices. If you look at his recent IMDb, he this, has about one good movie for like every three non-existent or forgettable things. Um, Cody, are you interested in Green Knight? Do you like David Lowry, Dev Patel? Thoughts? Um, so I don't believe I've seen a David Lowry film off the top of my head. Um, I like Dave Patel. I, I love. I like Slumdog Millionaire. I liked Lion. I know not everybody was a huge fan of that one, but I like Lion. I, like Lion. Uh, I thought Lion was super good. Um, 
I haven't seen uh, the, what, the David Copperfield movie. Um, it's on my watch list. Um, but I, I like him as an actor. I've been told that I will hate the Green Knight and that normally when I get right. told that I'll hate... Or, no, that's you're not the only one. When I get told that I'll hate a movie, most people are correct. Uh, the, there's very few times that the upset happens and I'm like, oh, that was actually really good. Um, I'm probably going to still see it because uh, I'm trying to watch uh, a lot of movies from 2021 um, because 2020 sucked. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm going to check it out. I don't know how I'll feel. Uh, people that I follow on Letterboxd are positive on it and some people that clearly don't have taste in films but they still put it high so well i think as far as david lowry is concerned i watch old man with a gun watch peach dragon i think you could be into those don't watch the other ones definitely don't watch ghost do not watch the ghost ghost story do not watch ain't, ghost ain't the body saints maybe yeah that's maybe i think Cody well, i looked at ghost i looked at ghost story and i said not a chance i already eats pie with her hands for like eight minutes I'm not even a big fan of that one. That that one's kind of. Is, I like uh, it. But you're te- you're telling me not to go see the Great Night. That's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the closest to Ghost Story of his filmography. I do think. Yeah, I think that everything I've heard about this is this is not a traditional epic, like swords and armor movie. This is much weirder and more esoteric. You really well, take it as like a coming of age movie because thematically that's more what's going for. I will also say I I would concur. I do think Cody would like Old Man and the Gun because Robert Redford is real good. I've heard that. Who doesn't like Robert Redford? Um, is, Cody, what's the last thing you logged on Letterboxd that is not Shutter Island? In case you like Shutter. Oh, do I have to do the exact last thing no, I no, logged? No. You, okay, we'll, we'll, we allow you some flexibility. If there's some, if you have watched something that you have no no take on and no interest in talking about. Happy to let you. Well, I, I would rather not argue with you guys on Cabaret. I would really sure. like to not argue with you guys on um, other things. I went with a Coen Brothers movie that people told me I would absolutely hate, and it was Burn After Reading. I enjoyed Wait, that. that? A lot time. of people, Boatman, Coho, um, people that said, "Oh, you don't like Coens? Well, some Coens you won't like this one." I found it super enjoyable. I thought all the characters. Or uh, hilarious throughout it. Um, I love John Malkovich. Uh, besides, when he goes full crazy, I, I predict that like in about thirty years of me, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> me screaming at people. Uh, I think Brad Pitt is one of one of Brad Pitt's funniest roles that he's ever done. And I, they thought that I would hate Brad Pitt in the movie, which is one of the craziest takes because he was by far the the best character in the film. Um, yeah, I think I think this is... Un- one, I think this is an underrated Coen Brothers movie because I don't feel a ton of people praise it or talk about it as much as, you know, the bigger ones. But, yeah, if you guys haven't seen Burn After Reading, I would definitely check it out. I think Burn After Reading is uh, really enjoyable. Yeah, I think that's an insane take that you wouldn't like this film. Um, it's not a, it's, it's weird and goofy, but it's not like bizarre weird that you would there would be a turnoff um and especially the brad pitt like it's one of the few movies where brad pitt kind of like takes his attractiveness and like his sex appeal by the horns and then just plays the dumbest character on the face of the earth um, yeah it's a no it's i really i enjoy it too it, to me it's like second third tier cohen's i like some stuff more yeah. than it but it's certainly um 
I don't think they're. I also don't think they're trying to do as anything as groundbreaking as some of their other work. Like no, it, to me, it feels like, like it's an it's like a movie they do in between like the really hardcore stuff just to be like kind of fun and just kind of enjoy hanging out with some great actors and doing some fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's like, like right out of the Jump Street. Like somebody like dies in the film, they go to J.K. Simmons, and he's like, "Just take care of it. We're done," and move on. Like those stuff just it's, it was completely silly. It's they weren't trying to do anything, but like when John Malkovich and. Uh, Brad Pitt's character sits in that car together and has they like talk about the deal for the money. It's just one of I think it's I thought it was hilarious throughout. So yeah, I think they just like to do their spin on different genres, and that's what this was an experiment. How do you do their version of essentially like a spy or a conspiracy movie of like people getting stuck in the middle of a spy conspiracy? Um, so so I think that's. Not, I don't, I don't, I don't want to dismiss it as not as ambitious as the other ones. I think that's putting us in the habit of dismissing comedies and thinking serious dramas have a lot more ambition and artfulness to them. Um, that's not what I, think I'm often, I think often. I think Bobsky is the one of their brothers. Most, is there is there one of their most like interest like the movies they're trying the hardest for? I think is Big Lebowski. So I was not trying to make that be a a comedy versus drama thing. But I just think the, the, the wackiest comedy that the Coen brothers do often get dismissed as their lesser films, thinking this and Hail Caesar. And um, I mean, Raising Arizona has a huge fan base, but there's also a lot of polarizing um, takes on Raising Arizona as well, that they just don't get taken as, in the same regard as like no country for men because it's spiritual qualities. Um, I, I, I don't have a specific take on Bird After Reading. This is why I'm, I'm filibustering by saying my thoughts on this, because I haven't seen it since it came out. And I, don't, I don't fully remember, but. That's fair. Love That's fair. me some Bradley Pitt. That's true. Um, so the last thing I watched uh, besides Shadow Island was uh, a friend, a franchise entry in one of Cody's favorite franchises, uh, Star Trek. <laughs> um, but I believe Cody does like this one. It's Star Trek 2009, the reboot, um, which is my favorite uh, film in the entire Star Trek franchise. Um, I love what, like, this was to me the, my introduction to Star Trek and the reason that I was even willing to go back and watch the older ones. Um, I think that Pine is so good in these films. I think Quinto is really good. I think um, Cho is really good. And Yelchin is, you know, RIP is just great. And Saldana, like, it's just, it's one of the few examples I've seen in film where that they have rebooted a franchise and had to recast a bunch of famous characters and almost universally just nailed it. Like, I feel like every time they do that, they always miss somebody. There's like one person that gets stuck in the outliers and like, well, we like five of the six castings, but not all of them. And I think they just did such a good job. I didn't mention Urban. I think he's great as Bones. I think Peg is great. Um, it's just a really fun movie. And I know that like the, the some of the hardcore Star Trek people like bashing it for being not as like deep and philosophical as some of the other stuff, but it's also just way more fun than a lot of that earlier stuff. It's enjoyable. It's fast paced. It's got action. It's got comedy. It's a, just a really good blockbuster and kind of like a really smart choice by Abrams, a director that I a lot of times feel like doesn't have a lot of interesting ideas. Um, I think what he did with that in terms of bringing it into a modern age and like gaining an entire new audience for Star Trek as a, like just as a brand is um, just a really, really large accomplishment. And it's just like a fucking great movie to watch. It's so much fun. Yeah, my, my issue with the older Star Treks is they look like TV movies and they have the pace of TV episodes. And I think people, because they have a fandom for the universe, kind of give them way too much credit and give them um, a leeway with saying these kind of look like shit and look like they're made for $100. 
So that's why Star Trek 2009 is the best movie of the ones I've seen. I've seen like five because it's an actual movie. <laughs> because it's like made with a budget to what the, the universe should be treated as. You know, it's a big grand space story. Um, this is where they put in the production design and got movie star actors and not TV actors to to carry it. Um, you can say exactly. Krenz is a TV actor, but he does great in the movie. Um, so I think it's a lot of fun. I also loved Into Darkness because I have no um, love for the Wrath of Connor classic Star Trek, so it didn't bother me that they were pulling that off. I thought it was a fun, exciting movie. I, I had no idea who Khan was at the time. It worked. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, I despise old Star Trek. <laughs> like, I think, I think <laughs> that's one of the most misguided things. Like When people are like, the TV show, if you like the TV show, I've never seen an episode, so I will give you a TV show. But these movies are gosh-awful. They are so fucking boring to me. And everybody hits me with the same line, well, you're just not, it's more educated, it's more, it uses your brain more than lightsabers and blasters <laughs> and blood. I said, no, it does not. You, the motion picture doesn't give you anything to like, you just stare into space like these people do on a travel. Um, I think Rathacon has moments that are really good, but the problem was I found I saw this movie before I saw any of those. Like, if I grew up on Star Trek, of course I'd probably have like, oh, well, the charm of it. No. Then I watch Star Trek Online, I'm like, this stuff is hot garbage compared to this. This stuff's a lot of fun. They make, like, the space adventures, like, they're scientists and they're stuff like that, and they're, like, just, ex they're searching space, but they make it fun and exciting where Star Trek, the older ones, don't, and the next generation's absolute trash so like this is like that's why i like all three i like into darkness i like beyond i have a, i want that them to return because that's a star trek i can get behind and there's like even like there's other franchises that i watch the other stuff first like planet of the apes like i love the the three um uh with caesar's story um mm -hmm. from rise and dawn and I watch the older ones, and I still find enjoyment in the older ones. Like it's, so, it's not like just Star Trek. You know, I, the, I, get, I see good CGI or good special effects, and I think it's better. But yeah, I just think it's a complete miss on um, other Star Trek. But Star Trek Online's a ton of fun. Like those, they do those characters justice. And I don't, I people that complain, well, sorry, go watch William Shatner, and please tell me that he's a great actor because I, I, I'm still missing it. Yeah, there's great potential in the world. It, it, they, it was intended to be a TV show, and they made it with the TV show budget. Okay, that, that, that's the issue. People kind of, with their nostalgia, um, watching our children or their fandom, I think, give it too much credit and unfairly treat the sequels, I think, or the modern ones, because it's not the boring shit they're used to. I mean, I think I actually have, uh, I enjoy all three generations on some respect. I'm not a universal lover of all the movies, but there are original first six ones I like. I think Wrath of Khan is quite good. Um, I enjoy Search for Spock. Um, I really like First Contact of the Next Generation. I think that one's pretty good. Next Generation is pretty iffy. I think that's the only might be the only good one out of those movies. Um, but yeah, I like all three of the the modern ones. Although I think Star Trek 09 is by far the best of the three. Um, the other two get a little into darkness. I have a problem with it on the basis of its remaking the famous one. I think the John Harrison thing is just one of the <sighs> stupidest things that they've done, that any director or studio has tried to lie to people, like trying to pretend that, that wasn't con. doesn't mean you hate con. the movie, you hate the promotion no, no, of the movie. But you can't, like, 
the fact that they're trying to make you believe that he's not Khan when he's obviously Khan is annoying. And it makes it, – as a He just doesn't thing, turn in a chair and he tasks me. He tasks me. <laughs> if he did that, everybody would be fine. But overall, they try to make him John Harrison, and then he stands on the plane that looks up and, like, does this whole Khan thing. And they're like, no, not Khan. Benedict, you did fine. I liked, him as, I liked him as Khan. I just think <laughs> the, the John Harrison of it all is um, unnecessary. And, like, you didn't need to do that. Like, to me, it, to me, it just, like, it, it felt like you were insulting the audience. I think I think that was the tough boat because the, when they were trying to do Khan, we, instead of just announcing it because how the media works, it circulates that Benedict Cumberbatch is playing Khan. And then even more uproar. They get people in the theater and then they release Khan. It's actually kind of smart that they were able to do that in this day and age and no one actually – technically find out people knew he was con but they didn't officially say it until then so it is an interesting it, it's definitely a choice that um it was a it was a risky choice they probably people. going back would have changed that if i'm probably but the yeah, took the i think they i think they would if, if given the opportunity to do that i over. think actually they're that better coming back just played con in every movie they just haven't revealed it yet dr strange he's also going to end up being con just i think doctor in the multiverse they it's see they see up. DC they see DC and they put Heath Ledger's Joker and everybody was like bullshit this is crap and they're like well next time we do a villain we're not saying shit about it till it happens <laughs> that's what they did I mean it's certainly possible certainly possible um, yeah Star Trek we have interest we have different takes in it um, although you watch the fandom movie I'm proud of you <laughs> yeah. Lucas, Lucas watches what he wants now. Um, there you go. Let's jump ahead and let's talk about a movie that is just what I think one of the most fun to talk about that we've talked about the entire time on this podcast. Zach and I are going to attempt to explain the plot. Zach, would you like me to go first or you want me to go second? I would love to hear the synopsis breakdown of this. Movie. You want me to start? Or you want to go start? Um, I'll start. Okay, go ahead. Let's see. So we got Teddy Daniels. He's on a boat. Zach's first uh, character name he's ever remembered in this. <laughs> the first character name ever. Um, I may have looked up him trying to say we are U.S. Marshals. I to use as my nickname, and Teddy Daniels came up and on the Google search. So it was on the top of my brain, baby. Okay, Teddy Daniels. He is on the ship with Mark Ruffalo. Character name, Mark Ruffalo. And uh, they are U.S. Marshals on the way to Shutter Island to investigate uh a patient uh that's gone missing Shutter Island is a mental facility for like mental or prisoners who have what's the right term yeah I, I believe the, the correct term is they are prisoners who are proven that their crimes were related to insanity charges got it thank you so they're on on a way to there um Leo Tay Daniels is um very distracted by by Mark Ruffalo saying that he's from um, Washington, we thought he was from Portland. They never like fully connect back to that. I think in the book it was addressed. Um, it was like the early suspicion that he might not be who he says he is. Um, anyways, they go to Shutter Island. Uh, there's a big storm happening. Um, people are creepy. Shit's going on. Um, Teddy Daniels keeps having like dreams, nightmares, and flashbacks to um, his like war days and killing a soldier and his wife keeps appearing with like ominous warnings or whatever. Um, the, the person they're looking for supposedly, um, got imprisoned after killing her children. Um, 
and, and drowning her children. So they keep kind of coming into his dreams as well. Um, you should continue it from there because I feel like I'm going to skip an hour. <laughs> yep, you have a tendency to do some new plot summaries. Okay, so they're looking for her. They start talking to uh, Ben Kingsley, who runs uh, the psychiatric hospital. Um, we start to learn more about the background of Teddy Daniels in the war, including the fact that he was part of the liberation of the Dachau concentration camp. Um, at this point, the movie starts to get weirder and weirder. It's really starting to not only... As the character Teddy Daniels' reality gets messed with, you as the viewer's reality is also messed with. There are certain ticks that happen in the movie. Characters write words on paper that don't make sense. There's messages revealed. Um, the storm gets worse and worse. The story of the escaped prisoner becomes weirder and weirder. It doesn't make yeah. any sense how she escaped. The door was He's locked. The windows are barred. There was people watching, but none of them saw it. Um, he starts to become fixated on a couple other aspects too, and less on that original case. He's, he becomes fixated on the idea of Andrew Laetus, um, who's supposedly a prisoner um, that is being kept there that he says burned um, down hit, or killed his wife in a fire. It was like a janitor at their building. Um, he becomes very fixated on the idea of what the hospital is doing, that they are experimenting on their patients. I'm hearing this from his friend, George Noyce, that they're doing horrible things. And the, they, they, those start to seem like the ulterior motive to what he is going for rather than the mission. Yeah, he starts to believe that potentially there's some kind of mind experiment, some kind of response to Soviet rise uh, post-World War II. Um, they keep searching. They keep coming upon weird locations. They're, they're waiting, watched weirdly closely by the guards and people in charge of the thing. Um, he decides to go to this lighthouse where they believe that the uh, the most severe patients are held. He sees what he walks thinks up the really dead. coolly with a gun up the stairs. Best shot in the movie. Uh, that's like forty five minutes later than I am right now. He You're in the lighthouse. Friend, he thinks no, we're looking for the lighthouse. He thinks his friend falls off the cliff and dies. He climbs down. He goes into a cave. He finds a escaped prisoner who he believes is the real woman um, who escaped at this point. They've found Emily Mortimer playing the character and returned her. And now they're like, oh, you can leave now. Um, he speaks to her. She talks about how that they've been like doping everyone psychotropically. Uh, he goes. He's been. Yeah, he may have been being drugged at the start. If he drank anything. Drained to water and food and like aspirin and stuff. The movie gets weirder and weirder. He goes into the lighthouse. lighthouse he walks up the <laughs> stairs with his gun he encounters ben kingsley ben kingsley scene. it's a great scene ben kingsley shows him that uh andrew latis dolores you know like the all the basically all the names of the women in the story and the men in the story are anagrams of each other that the same letters just rearranged to form different words um it's revealed to him that he's actually patient 67 the one they've been looking for the entire time he is there after a mental break he's not he was a former marshal who broke after his wife drowned all their children and then he killed her um yeah, he's been mirroring all these incidents on fictional people. essentially he can't deal with the fact that he committed a crime so he's created a fictional reality what he just what he was described to at the beginning was happening with other patients um so he could keep his sanity um they tell him that he either has to process his guilt and his crime and grow and to understand that he did these things and not create this fake reality or he'll be lobotomized. Um, you initially believe that 
he has changed and grown because he admits to having the admits to being himself and have done the crimes. And then at the end of the film, he goes back into regression and starts talking to Mark Ruffalo like he's his partner and like they're the two agents again. Mark Ruffalo at this point has been revealed to be actually his psychiatrist playing the role in his um, delusion. At the end of the film, he utters the line, would it be worse to live as a monster or die as a good man? And then walks towards Erdely's clearly on the way to be lobotomized. Um, and yeah, the movie thoughts ends. about this ending. And the movie um, ends. Okay, I just want to say, I think this is our, our simultaneously our best plot summary and our most boring because we were so detailed. I'm pretty sure Cody fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I think I think you guys hit everything. It's, it's such a complex movie when you think about it and everything that happens. Mm. Um, and it's such an op- it's such a weird take from Scorsese. I think I, that's why I, I think it's fascinating because it's not the normal thing that he normally takes on. So, yeah. Well, it, it, like, it isn't, it isn't. It's probably right. closest, like, hate fear, and it still has, like, like crime. It, but the like, traditional Scorsese movie is they're actually marshals going to this island to look for a yes. missing woman, and they discover that they are doing some kind of weird mind control, messed up stuff. Like, that... In the normal, in the, what you'd expect from a Scorsese, Teddy Daniels is a real character. He's not this fictional imagination of a mentally yeah. ill person. He does yeah. like it's like Cape Fear bringing out bringing out the dead, and like this is like movies that are outside of his normal crime genre. But this one is one that just exceeds, in my opinion. I, you know, he is a director with a lot of you know love for the history of film, and and we often throw, and I think unfairly sometimes, call movies. Um, Hitchcockian. It, it's the most like thrown about term to describe any kind of thriller mystery is, is Hitchcockian, but I do feel like this is his only movie where he's trying to like riff on Hitchcock at all. Um, yeah, in a way, it's like closer to like the vertigo like level of Hitchcock of the psychological kind of thriller yeah. parts of it. So I feel like that's probably where his like interest was in doing this. Um, but the two things about Shutter Island that I think set this apart from his other movies is one on a more surface level is this, is this the only movie he has that has a twist to it? Because I, I, I kind of think it is because those just you know formally function a different way when you have a twist, yeah. it makes your movie work differently. Um, and the second is I think this is like by far his most like emotionally devastating movie. I don't think he hits tragedy as hard. As in um, any of his other movies, and, and like I just forgot how like heartbreaking. I disagree on that. It really is, and heartbreaking in multiple components. Even when he, honestly, I think sadder than the ending is when he's having his first dream, and you don't fully understand anything. But they have the Max Richter song that's also an arrival. It's one of my favorite pieces of music ever written. Um, the nature, the nature of daylight. Of daylight. Yeah. yeah, when when that's playing, and he he sees like. The like ashes of the building fly around him and Michelle Williams and the CGI is not like top quality, but I think that's just like his most heartbreaking scene he's ever directed. Let's talk about that. The most um like emotional film. Cause I think there's one other I can think of that's in the running for this, which is silence is another one that is pretty emotionally devastating and really like cool a different and- wavelength though. I mean on a very different wavelength, but it is like not personal, but spiritually like, it's more grueling emotionally than it is like devastating. Shutter Island is a film where you go along and you think everything's normal and he's just looking for the conspiracy. You think you're watching a sort of very traditional crime psychological thriller movie. And then you get these twists where you're realizing that this is all like 
in his mind and like his warped delusions. And that's something that is different than silence. Silence is more of the just like constantly just getting crapped on and just not being able to like hold the faith and you're just getting forced into harder and harder positions and you have to choose between like your religion and like people dying. It's devastating in, in a very different way. But I think those are the two were um, um, just a, the probably the two most emotionally devastating thing he's worked on. Although I would agree that um, Shutter Island is very different than Silence. But Silence still plays into a lot of what Scorsese has always, you know, fretted upon, which is faith and spirituality and the realities of the world come to conflict with that. Well, this is more just like pure emotional and and personal in a in a different way, like personal as in it's like your relationships, like things happening, the trauma. It's just most like trauma induced. Um, I I think in general, it's what makes the movie really be superb for me. As you know, thrillers that, um, sometimes just function on the poppy level. Um, just go for the thrills, go for the twist. Um, but, you know, Scorsese having a twist, the twist has complete purpose um, thematically and emotionally to everything else that is going on. It is not there just to, uh, oh, my gosh, um, he was dead all along or he was, you know, a, a patient all along. But it really played to what the rest of the movie was really doing. Watching on the second time now, it focused so much that the whole movie is not about the case. It's about Teddy Daniels the whole time. It's about his you know psychological issues the whole time so the twist just reinforces that um you know internal mystery that um low-key the movie is about the whole time i do think it's a movie that is better on rewatch because the first time you watch it a lot of the teddy daniels mind break stuff is confusing so you're like confused about what's happening you're like i thought i'm watching them investigate you're like why do they keep doing these dreams and i think that's one of the reasons the the movie was sort of only mildly positively received on initial release. Um, mm -hmm. I and because I think that on rewatch you start understanding, oh, all the weird stuff starts getting tied into the puzzle. The first time it's just weird and you're confused. And the second time you're like, oh, right, because this is a movie about a mental break, not about the search for a woman, because in reality, her character is irrelevant. Like she doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Completely but different experiences. Yeah. But, yeah, my, my my buddy when he showed me this movie in college the first time. He said, well, we watched it, and he's like, I was like, man, that was good. And he's like, okay, we're going to rewatch it. And I said, what? He's like, just watch it again, but don't pay attention to, like, Teddy as much. Look around him and see what happens. And the stuff you pick up on the second viewing is crazy. How the guards hold the guns tighter around him, where they where they interact with him, where they all know, like, outside, like, they're playing – why you think they're being weird cops at the beginning on first watch. Yeah. Like, why are they doing the decisions they're making? But now you realize he's a patient and they're letting him live out this fantasy in real life. So they take his gun. That's why they play on the stuff. It's crazy on a rewatch. I'm with you. That's why I don't think if you watch this film one time, I feel like I understand why you're like, eh, I'm not a big, I'm not a huge fan of it. Or like it didn't hit with me. But if you watch it the second time, I don't say you have to do it back to back, but like the next time you watch it, pick up on those things. I think you, the movie is 10 times better that way because you're right. Because the first time I watched it, I'm like, why are they writing all these weird things that make no sound? All these flashbacks. I thought we're like, I know where we're going. I know the direction of this movie, what it's going to take me, but it feels like it's taking seven different detours instead of going the path I want. I, it should go. 
but it, it plays perfect. And then emotionally draining, yeah. I don't think there's a more emotional draining head shake in film history. Like, just a simple and just like, oh gosh, when you think like he's, I still have a buddy that thinks he's, he broke it like completely. And like, that's the whole thing. Did he break it? Did he not? But he, like, okay. Do we want to talk about this now? Oh, sorry. I've jumped. Oh, sorry. I was going to say it just because it's the end, but let's just talk about it. Yeah, let's so, do it. This is a couple days ago. I almost messaged Lucas was saying, I really want to talk about the ending. It's like, oh, no, I should just save it for the podcast. Um, and, and I think it's more obvious than I like expected. I think I was so focused the first time on, I read the book, um, and like the book's a banger. And so the first time I was just interested in how they, you know, unraveled the mystery, but I knew everything that was happening, but I still was focused on it as a, as, a twist movie and a thriller rather than the emotional drama that it is. I don't think it treated it fairly. So I was really focused on it as an adaptation um, to where I was also bringing in some of my assumptions from reading the book, which I'm not a top level reader. I have attention issues. So I'm sure there's like a lot of cues and things that I missed, but I was taking those assumptions and putting that into the movie. And this time around, just taking the movie as is, the ending, I think is completely different than how I've read it before which is i i think he broke it i think there's multiple clues being given that he is choosing making the choice to get the lobotomy to go with them and and like act like he hasn't lost it because he he doesn't want to live with that grief but more of it as an active choice rather than that subconscious um kind of dementia or insanity that was before i think the two big cues are is one is the big line that line makes no sense coming out of a man who is living out his, mm-hmm. um, you know, delusion. Saying live as a monster, die as a former monster. That's someone encapsulating what they're going or die. I read my fucking name. Live as a monster or die as um, a good man. Um, he's encapsulating his whole journey. He That's someone who is awoke, essentially, with what he's going through. And he, that's him saying, I'm going to make the choice to die as like a moral man because I can't keep living being aware of my issues that he doesn't say that in the thing. And then he willingly walks to the guards. And once again, if he was, you know, living out the delusion, trying to solve the mystery, he's not going to walk away from his partner and, and to, to the guards who go to Zimbabwe. He knew what he was doing. So I think this was just a, a willing choice to just, and just get rid of his brain. He doesn't have to have the memories anymore. Essentially. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's exactly. I fucking missed all of that the first time. Yeah, and I think on this last watch that I did too, like the whole like when you see him because you're right when he breaks the thing at the very end when he sits there talking and Mark Ruffalo is like, okay, and then he switches back to it, and yeah. the head shake is just like, no. But I, I think I, I I'm I'm safe to say in this last viewing, he knows exactly what he did. He broke it. This is just the way he this is the only way he can live with himself beyond this point. So, but I'm with you. The first I've watched this movie five, six times. I'm like, no, like he clearly, it just didn't work. It broke and blah, blah, blah. But then I think that adds more weight to Ruffalo's head shake because I think Ruffalo also knows like to an extent, like he is. The head shake was before any of those actions I mentioned that DiCaprio takes. Right. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. Yeah, that's true. See, I think I don't know if Ruffalo's aware of it, but I do think, yeah, I think DiCaprio is very. I think Teddy, I think he is choosing to like 
I think it's the realization of a man who realizes that he can't keep up the fallacy of being an agent anymore, that he can't keep that that reality has been broken by him admitting it doesn't exist anymore and talking to to Kinsley Kingsley. And then I think he had to make a choice, which is that I don't think he could reclaim that reality he built for himself so that the only option that could prevent him from having to live daily with the pain of losing his family would be to like let himself be lobotomized and remove like this a sense of awareness and sense of like yeah. having it's essentially a suicide. Value. Yes, it's yeah. A, yeah, it is essentially a suicide. Yeah. It's a mental suicide. He is choosing to give up give up his uh, his faculties um, to prevent the continued feeling of pain. Yeah. Rather than live as a monster, I think it's. But I think it's not just. I don't think it's just a monster. I think he doesn't want to deal with anything from his past. I think it's not just the family. I think it also relates to the actions in World War II and having to experience all that. I think he was haunted by by that even before the bad stuff in his family happened. Like if you yeah. go back to the beginning, there's a scene with Michelle Williams where she talks about he's drinking all the time. And I think that is the first, he's, get, he's been broken multiple times. He was broken by the war and then he was broken by his family all dying. So I think in some respects, he's choosing to get rid of like several different loads of pain at the end of the film when he chooses to be a lot of it. It's not just to get rid of the actions of killing his wife and losing his family. It's also because of all the war stuff. I think I think even if he could build a reality that prevented him from having to feel the pain of losing his family, he would still be stuck with all the pain and the horror of what he's encountered at Dachau. Well, and I, I just want to touch on the thing that I was talking about. It's basically not the head shake at that point. But when Teddy and him are sitting on there and he turns to him and says, you know, this place makes me wonder. And he does the whole yeah. live like a monster and die as a good man. And then gets up and walks and Ruffalo looks at him like has his face and then says, Teddy, like quite like he looks like on his face, like, wait, something you just said doesn't sit right with me. Like on that moment. And he just continues to walk forward with it. And like Ruffalo has no like sense, like, I just I just looked it back up because I was like I I thought I remembered but yeah it's that 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 scene is just so because I feel like that's the moment because they're both looking down and then he looks at him and goes shakes his head is like and he that's when Ruffalo's like wait a minute like hold on but it, he just lets him continue walking it's yeah. yeah I think I think what you said it's like a like a, a suicide basically let him walk into it, like because he can't he's not going to continue living the way he. The, because what he told him originally when the plot, he's like, yeah, it's not working. He's back to where he was. And they're like, okay. And now just that brief, he turns it back on because he clearly is out of whatever they think that is wrong with it. It's crazy. It, it's such a complex and, movie. Yeah, and I think you're really led to believe that Mark Ruffalo and Ben Kingsley really have their heart in the right place. Like they're not – just in it for the innovation like some of the other scientists may, may be, but they're really trying to help him, if anything, and help other patients like he's in a breakthrough. Yeah, so I think with that Buffalo reaction at the end, it, with him possibly realizing that this is a choice that, that Teddy is making, um, it, it's kind of that devastating of not just you, when you thought you had made a breakthrough, but realizing you actually did make a breakthrough, but it still like didn't help. Like it's still mm -hmm. like they're stuck in their misery, and that makes it almost seem more insurmountable. Like you can maybe solve the delusions, but how do you solve their pain? No, he broke down all the walls of his fake thing, but overall, it's still he, he can't live in the reality that you want him to live in. So, well, I think also yeah. one thing that's clear is that even in the the world that Teddy builds for himself, this like fake reality, 
Ruffalo and Kingsley are the positive people in that world. And people like Max von Sydow are still the villains. Like, I think there's an indication that that's something that goes from reality to the world he creates is that certain people on that island are viewed as positive and like allies to him and certain people are viewed as negative. Like clearly he must have had a good relationship with Ruffalo even outside, even in the real world outside of the fantasy he's created for himself. Otherwise that character never would have ended up in the position of his partner in the reality he created for himself. Yeah, I agree. Well, Van Cedow and um, Ted Levine's character both represent um, kind of living as the monster, essentially, with the quote. They are, they are people who are embracing the the sense of violence that they think is natural to all humans, um, which then that becomes part of the choice that Ted is having to make. And can he be one of them that he was arguing you know, with Ted Levine over, is it natural for us all to be violent creatures or violent men? Or we, you know, deemed to rule the world. So he's fighting that impulse with his more moral side of no, we should not live in violence or embrace our violence and avoid it by committing suicide. Um, so, so I think that's why those two characters, you know, kind of function as val- villains because they're just part of that, um, you know, thematic uh, metaphor in a sense. Yeah. A um, couple of things I wanted to bring up, which is that, do you guys think this movie works? better and is maybe received differently if this is a more straightforward um, psychological thriller where these two guys are law officers investigating the disappearance and the weirdness going on in this island. Like, I think we've talked about how interesting and fascinating it is to, like, have all this crazy psychological stuff going on. But this is movie better received or a better movie if it's more straightforward, something maybe we would expect more from Scorsese? I don't feel like it would be a better film. I feel like it would appease more people being an opposite way. I think both exactly movies how be, I think. I think both movies can be successful, but as the world we live on, like I've watched this movie five or six times at this point, and I'm still unpacking things from watching it mm. and like finding enjoyment throughout it. If it was straightforward, I think it could be considered one of Scorsese's like top tier movies because of the subject matter of it. I mean, it's still it's still not going to be the gangster kind of thing that he's you know most known for. But overall, I just I think people just need to give it another watch. If anything, I think I think this is a movie that doesn't hit out of the ballpark for the first time watch. But I think if you watch it again, it has that same appeal to be up there in the Scorsese's top ten. I just I it's I've always defended the movie and people were like, mm-hmm. it's just so weird. It has so many things. That's the point of the movie. Like it's Teddy's world that you're like, it's hard to explain for people that just, they want, you know, a crime comedy or crime element. And it's not, this is a crime with psychological thriller basically. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. there's a reason that this movie has in recent years gained a really strong following among like the hardest of hardcore film lovers and like film Twitter. Like there's, this movie has a very, what? And I think a lot of like real Scorsese, like fans, lovers are starting to re-embrace this as one of those better movies. I I think also in in just respects of like the people who would be the most likely to watch this multiple times and get caught up reading articles about it and like delving into like the, the, you know, all the details of the people that I think this movie has built like a really strong following it. The people who kind of just watch it once as a, oh, it's a Martin Scorsese movie, I should watch that. I think that is the group that has the, the much lower um, take on this film. Um, stay. Um, is it, what do we think of the 
I guess the, the does the ending do you want to go farther with the ending? Is the ending too early? Do we like the what fact do you that mean? Kind of, what would going farther entail? Him getting the lobotomy? like well, him do going under? Do we need to see him getting a lobotomy? Is that like a no? Does that make the story more impactful <laughs> if you get to see kind of the end of Teddy? The, like the, I, the Teddy to lose. I think the I think like the with the needle on it, like when he's walking towards him, is all you need to, to see at that point to where it is. And I think it just again, some people I, I've talked to some people about this movie. They hate how like negative the ending really is because like the character you've walked around for this entire time is now going off to <laughs> pretty much not be him anymore. Um, but I think it works perfectly when that score kicks back in and he, they're just walking off and you're just like, and Ruffalo standing on the stairs and Kingsley looks like he's about to cry because they tried their best. Like, mm -hmm. I just, I love the ending of this movie. I, it's again, since 2010, it's made me question and reanalyze and be like, Oh, does he know? Is he in it? Is he not in it? The ending just works for me. I think it's so good. I mean, it's a true tragedy in the like classical yeah. sense of the term, you know. I think there is still character growth in what Teddy. Like we we get to see him open up with his pain, and that is real growth. And sometimes that growth just is not enough, and and that's where tragedy kind of relies. It can still end in and sadness and kind of back at square one essentially. I do think it's no, interesting. I, I, I don't know why you would want to see the lobotomy. <laughs> like I, that's I, just. I'm not saying I do. I'm just saying I thought it was a question that we could we could debate. Um, I do think it's funny. Off of Cody said that people are like this ending is real downer. Um, I, I feel like those people have never seen a Martin Scorsese film. Um, do you half think the, that the, half the fans... movies end with somebody getting shot in the head? I mean, it's, it's not a, it's not an uplifting genre of uh, endings. Do you think that casual audiences would embrace it more if he did overcome his? Thing. And it just ended up like, oh yeah, I, I'm ready to move on, and they they like start making progress to his recovery. Because that's why I always tell my, about myself is I have problems. Like I like to I like depressing stuff at the end of movies and stuff like that. That makes me like feel something like, oh, that's just that. I think the general audience would be like, oh, it's it's the same. Like I'll put it in a movie that I hate, but like La La Land. If they were to end up together, people would enjoy that movie a lot more. If they actually ended up together and they were married and moved on, I still think the movie's crappy the way. But <laughs> the people that need those happy endings, like Ruffalo and him, turn to him and say, you know. And breaks it, and they're like, "Yeah, oh my god!" And then this whole thing. I just think that that's not the movie that it is. And yeah, and <laughs> I agree with you, Scorsese. If you you talk about downers, that's basically all his movie. Like the Irishman, he ends up in a room by himself at the end with the door open and no one around him. Like that's that's the Irish. Um, there's no happier ending than Taxi Driver, where the hero Travis Bickle um, saves a prostitute and kills all the horrible criminal gangsters. And then takes a like dream ride around the thing. Yeah. You know, that's <laughs> my favorite Happy part ending. ever. I, that's why I hate that. I hate, I hate that ending of Scorsese's movie. I hate Wait, that ending. Of I was joking. That's not what the ending's about. <laughs> well, no, I know. Okay. Well, so we can talk about that after this. I will okay, so I will answer Zach's question and say I actually don't think a happy ending changes the response to this movie because I think that people were out on this movie the minute they had to go from watching a movie about Mark Ruffalo and Leonardo DiCaprio hunting a disappearing woman. And the minute it switches to like Leo's mental break, I think that was when the more casual audience was out of the movie to begin with. And I don't think a happy ending changes that. I think that they wanted the straightforward, like, oh, it's two 
two federal marshals trying to find this woman and uncovering some kind of conspiracy. And I think the minute it's like, oh, it's actually Leo's a patient. I think that was the minute that people were out of the movie. That's probably. I true. think Scorsese movies just have kind of a history of being read to surface level because he is so engaging and thrilling um, as a director that you can take those stories essentially just on that level and not really dive and he's, he's just like a super smart man and not really dive into what he's doing in these movies. The same people that you know may just want this to be a thriller, the same people that think Goodfellas might be embracing gangster culture. Or thinking that you know Wolf of Wall Street is um, embracing him. that that culture, rather than seeing how he's indicting these characters or, or really you know, putting a, a microscope on those on on this world, which in this is not putting a microscope on a community, but putting a microscope on the idea of grief and pain, and not just trying to be a mystery. He he tells engaging stories, but like with an actual mind and heart and you know spirit to him. Absolutely. Um, we've talked a lot about DiCaprio. Um, do you have any other performances in this film you really like? I think the Jackie Earl Haley, like one scene is really effective. I think there's something about his physicality that's very weird. And I think, you know, I think he fits really well in these scenes. Um, Jackie Earl Haley was really having a moment in 2009, 2010. Everyone thought he was really coming back as like this top big actor. You know, it's a kid from Bad News Bears. He's like Oscar nominated for Little Children. And then he was in Shutter Island. And Nightmare on Elm that. Street. And I, I think he has, because Watchmen, what year was that? Was that 2009? It was around the same time, right? Yeah. So yeah, he, yeah. Yeah. But I think this is like, he can play one scene of support performances, kind of going over the top, which his character needs to. Um, and that, that's where he, he best fits. Um, but with that, I would say in 2010, I'm trying to look a couple of things up to back up this story. I said I was already a huge fan of the book before the movie was announced because I, I, I love Disley Hain. I read Disley Hain after watching Mystic River and uh, read Mystic Is it River. Lehane? Lee Hain. <laughs> I think it's Lehain. Um Yeah, sure. Anyway. <laughs> This was like the most anticipated I've ever been for like a movie. I was so excited about Shutter Island because the book bangers, one of my favorite books at the time. And they announced Leo and that's like Leo post departed and like really at the like height of him becoming this like serious crime and like gritty actor, which I think he's kind of moved. We, we forget how he was just like so dour and serious around the like late, late aughts. Um, and then I think started with like Django and then Wolf of Wall Street a lighter side started to come out of him. Um, but like fucking Leo, I was all on board with, with him being on it. And I, for some reason, I'm trying to look up why I was like really excited about Mark Ruffalo. But what did he do at the time? The Brothers Bloom? I'm not sure. Zodiac, but I wasn't a fan of Zodiac in 2007. Wow. So I don't know. But for some reason, like Mark Ruffalo really caught my attention. Um, and Jack O'Haley because he was having a moment. I was also really an Emily Mortimer. Like I thought that was like Emily Mortimer and Shutter Island. Fuck yeah. Because I think she was in Larson, the real girl. 18-year-old Zach who's having some experiences with specific actors. Um, but the cast in 2010, really fucking exciting to me. Yeah. I mean, it's a really good cast of... Um, yeah. This is like a very Ruffalo role. He almost always is like the kind of solid everyday person next to like the more um, flashier performance. He often gets the weirdly because, you know, then he goes on the spotlight and he has the really big scene stealer in that one. But up until that point, he was often the guy who didn't get the scene stealing role in the movie that had more scene stealing um, parts. 
I think Kingsley's pretty good in it. I think he's there for exposition. He kind of has a thankless role in a way. He's just there to explain everything that was happening. But he does a damn good job of doing he it. Just, yeah, if you're going to get someone to, de- to deliver the explanation, you got to get someone who could do it with like the most authority possible. I feel like Michelle Williams has done a billion movies like this where she's like amazing in it, but also in like three scenes. I feel like this has been so much of her career for like the last 10 to 15 well, years. It's just like three really good scenes in movies, but not getting like a really large part that maybe you would have liked. Is she the Hall of Fame, dour, tragic, depressing romance actress of all time? Is she is she the best? I'm I'm thinking three movies specifically okay. between this Manchester and Blue Valentine, which are just fucking grueling, emotional performances and movies that she has done. I think she is. I have. I haven't seen Blue Valentine, but I will definitely these two. I will definitely agree with you because as somebody just rewatched Manchester by the Sea, I slept on that movie way too much that year. We love that movie. I also find this more devastating than Manchester. I I think because of the levity in Manchester. Manchester is super funny. I don't know. Yeah, Manchester is depression by the sea. Our Manchester episode is just me and Lucas talking about how funny Manchester is. It is a a sneaky funny movie. Um, (laughs) Which I yeah, think is no, you're a hundred percent where there are some funny points, but man, I am sad. <laughs> yeah, the police station scene is a uh, is is rough. Um, there's a lot of scenes in that film that are uh, devastating. Yeah, yes, I, I, Michelle Williams. Yeah, I think she's really good at playing sadness. Like, which like I feel like is is something we underrate because so often people play sadness in this like hysterical over the top. But for the vast majority of people, sadness is this really like it really dulls you down and you become like this, like almost like not 100 percent there person who's kind of just like sleepwalking through the world. A lot of like most people don't experience sadness as like screaming and banging on walls and like, you know, having like hysterics. A lot of times it's just just destructive and like crushes you as a person, but not in a way that like you express that to the rest of the world. This is a really interesting comparative performance there is in Manchester because Manchester is like the snotty, naturalistic version of, of you know, having an emotional meltdown, essentially. Um, well, this is a little more the opposite. This is more in denial. This is a little more like she's burying the pain and the depression in the end, that final reveal scene in her body. Her body still looks so worn, but her face and her actions are in that like um insane um delusional um manic depressiveness part of it so she, the misery is can still be read just by how she carries herself even though she's giving lines like let's go on a picnic with our kids and her like the creepiest honestly the creepiest performance she's ever again given um so she really can capture like all the layers of someone who's just living with all the grief and all the depression absolutely um, I do want to talk about uh, the inclusion of On the Nature of Daylight, which is one of these, like, in every movie thing uh, songs. Yeah. The two best me. twist movies that exist to me, because it helps the movie focus on the emotional aspects between this and Arrival. And, of course, Zach is talking about The Trip and Stranger Than Fiction. Yes. Uh, is it in those movies? It is also in those. It is in Gyro Jeans with Sushi, the documentary. It's also just a great fucking album. So I think Blue Notebook's the name of the album. Max Victor, listen to all his shit. 
Yeah, I mean, it's also in like every YouTube compilation of great acting scenes. If you go, I, I, I guarantee this. Go right now and like Google like best acting in movies on YouTube and watch like compilations people put together. That song will be in like half of them, if not if not more. Um, it it's great almost music makes me like, feel bad about saying it's one of my favorite pieces of music. I mean, I'm a fucking cliche. This is like the yeah. old neoclassical thing that. Why don't you have a, Why don't you have an original thought, Zach? Jeez, I know it's fucking boring, but I do think like. We're gonna go on real music corner for Zach. So neoclassical okay. music, <laughs> great, take a nap now. <laughs> great genre right now, um, and it's in the top form. But what it is essentially is, it can hold up. It has a lot, you know, to compare with classical music. There's still strings, and and the compositions can be somewhat similar. But the song or the there are more songs than compositions. They're a little shorter. They're a little more accessible and simplistic compared to you know what like Beethoven and Mozart were doing. But the focus on like emotion through the music is where the similarity of classical comes from. So I think Max Richter in this song is probably the neoclassical song that I think can best fit like with classical music as some of the best made music ever. I don't think we need to dismiss it because it's newer and say, how can you compare it to Beethoven? I think it fucking compares to Beethoven. That's just like a perfect, you know, piece of having emotions react to music. Would you compare it to Beethoven or Mahler? Because I feel like it feels more. I don't fucking know classical, so get off my ass. <laughs> I, it just sounds like to me it feels more Mahler than it does feel. Uh, sure. Mm. Mm. What's your thoughts? I agree. I agree. Who's a classical or neoclassical musician? Who me? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll get back to you. I came to talk about. I was hoping you were saying like ludicrous. <laughs> Move, bitch. Uh, get off the way. Um, let's do some final thoughts. Zach, what's your final take on Shutter Island? Any final uh, small little crumbs you want to share with our audience? Um, if you are basing your take on this movie from your first time watching it, then it's not a fair take because that's how I was for years. I said I was, I think, judging it harshly on it as an adaptation. On It's like everyone when they're watching a movie based on a book they love, but I think there's so much that sets apart from the book. I think Disney Hain you know, as a poppy crime writer, still like really smart, but can't elevate his material emotionally as much as Scorsese is able to do in thematically. I think Scorsese really had his um, kind of point of wanting to make this. So I think people need to watch it with a different lens. Um, try instead of trying to figure out the crime and the mystery, um, just trying to go on you know Teddy's journey and really go into his head. It's 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 better when you know what happens. So watch again. Absolutely. Um, Cody, you have final thoughts on the wonderful Shutter Island? Yeah, I'm 100% with Zach. Like, um, if you watch this one time, and I think that's why I was such a big fan of it, because I watched it back-to-back, and I was mm-hmm. able to unpack it right away, and I'm glad my friend told me to do that when we did it. Um, but, yeah, I would just say go in, like, if you're new to Scorsese or you're trying, like, you like his other stuff, like, this movie is going to take more viewings than a Goodfellas or maybe a, uh, you know, uh, a Wolf of Wall Street. You know, it's 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 off of his normal beaten path, but it uh, has a lot to unpack. And honestly, I think it's one of I. It's probably his most depressing movie, like moving movie for me. In there, so yeah, I would definitely go check it out. And if you're going to check it out, I would schedule another viewing sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. Or like definitely read some film criticism about this, engage right. with the film. I would also 
off what you're saying, I would not do Shutter Island first. Watch like five oh. other Scorsese movies, kind of get into the grain. And like, you need to be more invested with him as a career and like be willing to engage with this film. Um, Watch before. this, then Hugo, then go back to this, and then you'll be better off. <laughs> it's actually just the, the, the drive by shooting on Hugo. Um, no, I, I, say, I, I think Hugo's a nice, refreshing okay. movie. Oh, compared okay, okay. To this, and then go Anyways, back to no, I like Hugo too. I, there's just like yeah. a weird contingent of people who like hate Hugo, and I'm like, what, a all time great director making a really good kids movie. Why are we hating on this? Um, <laughs> Joe Pesci doesn't direct Pangs in three. I think you should. Let's go. Paddington just fucking mows five people out the end of the Um, I was give that fair <laughs> some coke. <laughs> It's an interesting, interesting take on how to ruin a beloved children's book character. Um, we were talking about this uh, off mic, the how the career movies that are based on Dennis Lehane novels. Um, I've seen Dennis all of them. Lehane. I believe it's Lehane. I speak the way I speak. Yes, I, yes. <laughs> the, the author is from my part of the country and not yours, so I think. My accent may be slightly more accurate to this. Um, yeah, he makes uh, he's one of these really cool writers that just writes good crime novels that get adapted into good movies. Um, in case you're unaware, his movies were his books were adapted into uh, The Drop with Tom Hardy, Gone Baby Gone, the Ben Affleck film, Live by Night, the Ben Affleck film, Mystic River, and then Shutter Island. So it's a pretty decent list, minus Live by Night, which is trash. Mystic River as well, yeah, yeah. Oh, so that's what brought me into the Dennis Lehane. Oh wait, mode. you have a you have a trash opinion on that, so we're not going to talk to you. I like I like Mystic River. Oh, okay, maybe you're somebody else. I, no, no, no. You don't else. like you don't like my take on which Sean Penn performance I prefer. I still like Mystic River quite a lot. Um, oh. I just like it's a story. great Dennis Lehane story. That is, he always has the right level of like moral concern and that compromise but he he's so interested in, in the moral dilemmas we face in the world i think that makes it a step higher than the average crime novel or, or pop writer my favorite thing also about this movie if you type shutter island in any search box at any time ever it will follow by explain <laughs> like, <laughs> no one has anything else everybody's searching for somebody to explain this movie to them so uh i think it's hilarious it's ending and explain it's literally back to back like that's amazing I, I love i love uh search suggestions they're uh we, we were googling through a couple ones the other day there's some some real crazy ones that I, I don't understand related to the quality of certain states or not. <laughs> <laughs> Rhode Island. I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. Everyone really hates certain things about you. Um I will say of all the works of his, I think Gone Baby Gone is the best film adaptation. I I really like that one. I don't know where I stand. I need to rewatch Mystic River. And then I do I need to I need to rewatch Mystic River too. That would be between Shutter Island and and Gone Baby Gone. I think Shutter Island's just up. Like, I think Gone Baby Gone's a great story. And I said that's when Dislehane's like moral um, dilemmas are its like highest and, and heartbreaking. Yeah. I think Shutter Island's such a better directed movie and crafted. Gone Baby Gone has some flashes of being like a first movie by yeah, Ben Affleck. I think some some of the definitely editing techniques could be a little melodramatic, but the story's so good. He, he does craft it, you know, pretty beautifully. And Casey Affleck, you know, legend. 
uh, yeah, you know, personal issues aside, big fans of him as an actor. Very pro Casey, Casey Affleck podcast. Like, we, might be, we might be the, the most positive Casey Affleck podcast in the world. As an actor. He's also excellent on SNL. Very funny on SNL. I do I still, not remember this. And I am I still, such a bigger I SNL still, fan than you. I still watch his Dunkin' Donuts skit. Like at least twice a week. Oh, okay. It's That's hysterical. Right, yeah. It's such a good bit. It's one of like the all-time favorite SNL bits. Yeah, um, Coho hates Casey Affleck as an actor, not as a. I mean, also as a person, I'm pretty sure, but um, hates him as an actor. That's funny. That's such a bad take. He has an atro- I mean, he has an atrocious takes about the 2016 Best Actor field. He says it's the worst. He says he's the worst winner of the 21st century, which is insane because we have people like. Lip-syncing Robbie Malik that won Oscars. <laughs> Peter Brody is still there in the penis. I'm sorry, yeah. but he doesn't do anything. There's there's some rough options. Uh, I don't understand how you make that argument. Were you going to say that? <laughs> yeah. I, I need Cole to come and defend this because I don't even understand how that could be a take. But what's the evidence? I mean, he'd have to show up for a taping to be able to come defend his takes. <laughs> well, put a Pirates movie on. They go to an island, don't they? He'd be here. Well, I'm the crazy person. I had KCF. Like, I think he should have been best supporting actor nominated for Old Man and the Gun. So I, I might be old. I if wanted Robert put, Redford to get Oscar nominated for that. You should do Pirates of the Caribbean at some point and not invite him. Um, we would have done that. We're gonna but everyone voted for planes instead of boats. <laughs> I love this podcast. Looking back, we're so mad that, that we gave him three options for transportation, and they picked the least interesting one. That was a great one, though. It was fun. I feel like, like that's where we found our voice. Boat movies are way better than plane movies, and plane movies are also probably better than plane movies, although we kind of already did all the play, the train movies we needed to do. Yeah, <laughs> I think I've, I think, but I think train movies have a good, like, there's a good list of quality movies that happen on trains. You get some Hitchcock. Um, yeah. And DeVito. Yeah, always. It's, but we got to do the classic Air Force One, so I don't know what you're talking about. We have, the Air Force One has our all-time favorite moment when the uh, the jet fighter for the U.S. flies his <laughs> jumps the plane <laughs> directly in front I of I got you, buddy! And it flies <laughs> and then takes a missile. It's, the dumbest CGI <laughs> moment I've almost ever seen. It looks like a sci-fi original, and it's hysterical <laughs> that it does that. Oh gosh! It's like some kind of like mega shark versus giant octopus scene. Lucas, yes. this is Space Jam: New Legacy all over again. Where we're going to half hour longer because we're having off-camera conversation on camera. Absolutely. Well, you know what? I'm going to wrap this up, and I'm going to tell our audience. Um, First, I'm going to thank Cody, because Cody is one of our favorite guests, and we will definitely have him back. He's always fun to have on, and we like a lot of the same movies, so that certainly makes it easier to, f- to find Cody as a guest. Um, I will also tell our audience, September, we are covering films by modern horror auteur directors because of the release of the James Wan film. But movies? No one knows. We'll discover when we start taping it. That's right. You will find out. In September, when we drop that first episode, we will tell you because um, I'm going to be honest, we haven't picked the movies yet, so we will, uh, we'll, we'll get back to you. But um, there's a lot of, I'm doing research, and uh, there's a lot of people who, who can be considered horror tours that I would rather um, eat broken glass than cover their movies. So <laughs> um, we'll, we'll get back to you. We'll find some good ones. Um, 
yeah, thank you to everyone for watching, listening, like, subscribe, comment, do all the things you can do on the different platforms. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And um, we will be back next month with uh, movies by modern horror, horror auteur directors. Zach, yeah. you want to say something? It'll be fun. I was going to say I love you. Good riddance. Good luck. Goodbye. I forgot how to do this. Peace out, folks.